Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 68. Always remember your focus determines your reality. Thank you all so much for joining us tonight. We have an amazing show planned for you. Of course, we are definitely going to be covering Korriban, the GSP latest tournament that just happened this weekend in that crazy, crazy time zone that it existed in. We're also going to be continuing our discussion on how chess and X-Wing are almost the same thing, maybe, but they are kind of close to being the same thing. But we're going to continue on down our conversation about how chess strategy and X-Wing strategy can be compared and used together. The concept tonight is we're going to have a conversation about what are the five basic tenets of chess strategy? Do they relate to X-Wing? And does X-Wing have a few more? Because it's a little more complex. We'll see. Joining me tonight on the mic is my good friend and partner, JJ Jameson, the whiskey, as well as George, who also plays Top Cut over JJ in this week's tournament. Please welcome to the show, George and JJ. Welcome, everyone. How are you all doing tonight? Uh, it feels like I have jet lag, even though I did it one night. Um, but uh, man, I had to like go to sleep for like four hours after the tournament. I was just wiped out. Uh, I feel you. I'm right there with you. And I had to do it again this morning. <laughs> yeah. Well, awesome. So, so essentially, we we know both of your weekends were tied up playing X-wing. My weekend was a little bit different. I didn't get as. Um, ballsy i guess and decide that i wanted to play i was home in time i was home by eight o'clock on friday night i had to go help my sister set up stuff for her um wedding shower and there was nobody else that could help her so i went i had nothing better to do my kids on fridays go to their grandmothers right so it's just me then i got some thai food afterwards by the time i finished the thai food though i really didn't know if i wanted to stay up all night and then try to sleep the next day or if i wanted to try to force myself to go to bed and get up early because two o'clock, and, and you can correct me, but I think you're both in Eastern time zone. Like two o'clock's yeah. really early, right? Like yeah, like yeah. I didn't go to did I, did I message you, JJ? I think I messaged yeah, you at you like two thirty and said, "Hey, you I'm did. debating. I'm playing. I'm really stoned right now." <laughs> I was like, "Dude, you should have gotten some sleep, man." Because whew, and and that's that we started a little bit later too, uh, due to um, you know the the first time ever there was a. A delay in starting the event, but um, imagine, but yeah, man. It, I mean, we started like what almost like 3 15 by the time everything was like taken care of, yeah, yeah. Well, that's good. I, I'm glad the two of you were got to play in it. I honestly haven't actually been able to play in any of the GSP tournaments, uh, at all this uh, this time around because he reduced the number he was doing, and it's always been on a weekend, something else has been going on, um. And this weekend, it kind of benefited me because it was uh, one of my good friends. It was her birthday this weekend. So we went and saw Clerks 3 last night. Um, that was really good. Like, I would recommend if you're a Kevin Smith fan and you are, like, as old as I am and seen, like, the original Clerks when it came out, like, then it's, this is 100% worth going and seeing. And I won't give spoilers, so we won't talk about it because I know there was, like, a limited release. Like, they only were in, like, a few of the... Um, a few of the time zones or a few of the theaters, I'm sorry, around me. Um, and like Kevin Smith also came and then they did like a live showing at what some like, like, uh, some concert hall, but it was like a hundred dollar tickets. And I was like, 
Yeah, I'm not gonna. I'm not. I don't need to meet Kevin. I've already met Kevin, Kevin Smith once. I'm not. You know, I'm not that excited to go pay a hundred bucks when I could pay fifteen dollars at a movie theater, sit in a recliner, you know, and and not have to do that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I. 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 Uh, yep. I. I. Yep. I'm not even supposed to be here today. That's actually the theme of the whole Clerks Three movie. All right. Anyway, so hopefully everybody had a good weekend. Um, if you played in Korriban, um, congrats on not getting any sleep or getting sleep at the weirdest hours ever. Um, don't know which you want to be congratulated on. But uh, either which way, uh, we had George back on uh, because, A, because George made top cut and not JJ didn't. <coughs> so we thought it would be fun to um, bring George on, especially because George had to face JJ in round four which was hilarious because I was, I think I woke up just in time for round four. And like, I was sitting there, I was like, I gotta go find this dude's last name. Cause we always call him George, but I don't know if this is the same guy. And then I look your name up in the list and I was like, Holy shit. <laughs> JJ, of all people, JJ has to play. JJ has to play George. Yeah. And what a game it was, man. I mean, who, um, we had, um, so we had a break early and then I made the mistake of going to sit down and like catch a quick nap because they give us like a 45 minute break. Hmm. I woke up and I was so groggy as hell. And I'm like, I made the mistake of doing that. I barely won my third game. And then I saw George's name come up and I'm like, Oh man, I'm like, this. <laughs> I'm like, I now I'm like, I, I, I'm, I was like, man, it, this is going to be a tough game. And man, what a game it was. Oh, it was good. Yeah, I did not make that mistake of falling asleep because I knew exactly what I knew exactly. I would I would feel the same way. Um, but I knew how important this game was, not only because you know obviously we want to keep going, we want to make the cut, and it had to be four wins to make the cut, but mostly because I don't know, I don't know how I didn't know how I was going to feel by the fifth game. So I was like, I got to get this one, or else you know I'm just going to be hurting on that fifth game even more. Yeah. So, and I understand that. I think I did that once during COVID when GSB started this whole thing, I played in off time zone. Cause, uh, John, one of my locals, uh, was like, Hey, you're learning how to play. You've never played in a tournament before. Why don't you play in this online tournament? And it starts at 3am. Like you stay up late anyway. So what's the difference? And I, I, that for that one, I ended up taking a nap for like three hours and then i got up and you know got up about midnight and i didn't start drinking i'll be honest i didn't i don't think i started drinking until probably about two but about two o'clock i was like i i i, I even bought myself a extra large pizza <laughs> just so i had food, <laughs> which is probably not the thing you should be eating but i thought it bad, was so. bad move man yeah <laughs> the carbs man the carbs <laughs> will just sink your energy man oh my god <laughs> by by about 5 a.m i think we were on the fourth round and like i just got like i got wiped out and i got tilted and i was like i'm not playing the next one or two fuck that i'm done <laughs> but anyway so glad that you all got to uh play today what i wanted to do uh to begin with is uh for our intro segment is and I hope the two of you have been thinking about it. So uh, to give the crowd a little bit of background, uh, about five minutes before go live, I came up with this um, segment I wanted to do, which I've had in the back of my mind. And we've done something similar to this before. But I, I, I said, I got to go make a drink and I'm going to come back. And what I want you guys to do is just think about Jar Jar Binks. That's all I want you to do. I'm not going to tell you anything else. 
I want you to think about Jar Jar Banks. So JJ, George, did you spend the last five minutes thinking about Jar Jar Banks? Yes, we classified him as a rook. Oh, yep. okay. Uh, all right. Yes. I don't know. He does. He's not even an X-wing. How is he a rook? <laughs> Yet, just in the Star yes. Wars universe. Just in the Star Wars universe. So my idea was: is there's a fan theory, right, that Jar Jar Binks is a Sith. It's a fan theory. It's not been proven. But here is here's a couple of interesting facts. If 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 you didn't know, and then we'll get into what what the segment actually is. If you think about it. He has dodged death as many times as a Jedi has. Whether he's clumsy or not clumsy, he's dodged death more times than your average citizen. <clears throat> he's been very successful in all his battles. I don't think he's lost the battle that he's been a part of. Yeah. He has infiltrated the Senate, and we all thought he was a bumbling idiot to some extent. He has to said Hail Hydra. <laughs> That's a fact. <laughs> uh, this is officially not a fact. No, this is definitely not a fact. They have made allusions or rumors to it. But now he also he also was one of the first and one of the most vocal people to push help into power. He uses gestures when he wants to change somebody's mind. If you watch some of the shows, you could see yeah. and 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 some of it's probably because he's. He he talks with his hands. I do the same thing. I'm not a Jedi, but you know, I don't live in this world. Um then if you think about it, right? <clears throat> Pelp has had backup apprentices more than one time. That is known. So think about it. There is a high probability that Jar Jar Banks was designed to be a Sith Lord. Okay. Now, with that in mind, what if we brought him to X Wing? We don't. I don't. And, and, and I don't give a. I don't care about bringing him to X Ring in Republic, right? Like we could talk about that if you all want to. But to me, it's, the better part would be what's his secret ability. Now, I don't think Jar Jar has ever fly, flown a ship before. I don't think in the Clone Wars he actually flew anything. Now, when has that ever stopped a Sith Lord from trying to do something crazy, though? So what I want to do is, what ship would he pilot? What would his pilot ability be? And if he were a crew, what would his crew be? So let's start with the ship. We'll start with you, George, since you're our guest. His ship? Yeah, what ship would he fly in the whole universe if he got to fly a ship? Um, I mean, I can see him getting into a Naboo Starfighter. Probably. Starfighter? Well, All right. Still Republic, yeah. Okay. J JJ? I mean, I got to imagine that the Gungans had some sort of space travel, right? Because they were obviously advanced enough for them to have a deep water vessel that could travel to the planet's core with high pressure. So they do have the technology to go into space. So I would actually like to see them in a unique Gungan ship. But obviously, he's going to fly in the um, the larger Naboo fighter, like the, the lander that lands uh, at the beginning of Episode 2. Um, I think that would be a great ship to bring into X-Wing. It'll probably be about the same size as, or maybe smaller than a gauntlet, I would say. Um, and um, he could be a pilot for that, as well as a crew member. As far as his ability goes, um, I posted in the chat a little bit. I think he would be similar to like a Hondo crew, that he could affect multiple friendlies or enemies. Um, but it, it's it's like Terex, right? Like he has all the good benefits in the beginning. 
And after you spend it X amount of times, he flips over and becomes clumsy Jar Jar that starts like doing all these terrible things to you on the flip side of it. Um, I think that would be kind of thematic. Yeah. All right. George, what, what do you think his pilot would, ability would be? Um, definitely that I think definitely something that's more survivability than anything. Um, cause I think that's his, his, his whole stick. So like, uh, either defensive rerolls, um, or something like that, but you know, just kind of change the luck game a little bit. See, Oh, all right. what if he, I was Go gonna ahead. say, what if he forces you to reroll on offense and defense? Whether you want to or not, it's a must. So you can roll natties, and then Jar Jar forces you to re-roll it. Yeah, I think I can see that. Yeah. All right. So let's let's stop for a second. Let's let's go back. Let's back it up a little bit. So back up to his pilot ability, right? You know. So okay. So if to me the bigger thing would be because he's clumsy, right? So in Star Wars, when are we clumsy when we when we play X Wing, right? If we bump our own ship. If we bump another ship, we hit an obstacle. So to me, his ability should play off of those things, right? So <clears throat> to me, and, and I guess we could take this as a two-part thing, right? You know, so you could have, you could do it like the Terex where you have the charges. He's he's clumsy so many times and then he's great or vice versa. Or you could go the route where if he bumps, he does this. If he does not bump, he does that. Right. So forcing them, if you go through an obstacle, like, holy crap, you're going to get something crazy that happens. If you hit somebody else's ship, holy crap, something crazy happens. But if you make a perfect maneuver, <laughs> then, then you are fine. And <clears throat> I would agree I, to me. I, I don't know if I like the um, the the taking a deplete and taking damage. That, that's an interesting option. Um, taking a deplete token and give everybody damage. This would be super strong. Like, it would almost have to be suffer a crit to give everybody else one damage. Like, I think that's the only fair way you could do that. Um, and then he could have only, like, two or three. <laughs> you, just, you just couldn't have him doing that. Like, we just, it, that's like a constant bomb flying around. Um, so, to me, it would be if he runs into somebody or if he overlaps an obstacle or flies through an obstacle or does something dumb and he does something that has consequences he's able to pass one of the consequences off to a friendly ship. And then he's able to perform an action on his bar. So if he flies through an asteroid and has to take one damage and there's a ship within, let's say range one to two of him friendly ship, he could pass that damage off to the friendly ship and then he could take an action. Same way as if he lands on an obstacle, he can still take his, as long as he passes one of the effects off to another ship, he can take his action. Nice. <laughs> Sam plus ultra proton bomb when he bumps. And then you could you could do the, oh, the whole nice. thing if he flips. But to me, I think as a pilot, that's kind of how I would do it. If you had a crew card, what crew card would he be then? Would you do the same thing, JJ? Stick with the X amount yeah. of charges and and that's his crew card. He does good things on one side, bad things on the other side. Yeah, I think that that would be the fair way to do that. Yeah. All right, George. If he's a crew card to you, what 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 do you want? What do you do? Um, I think, 
because I'm thinking Jar Jar. But I, I'm also I used to play Star Wars Destiny, and I think one of his like he was in that game. And if I recall, uh, anytime you activated him, like the card, for example, you would have to re-roll anything with symbols. So like you could do maybe something similar for offense and defense, um, where if you roll the first time offensively or defensively, Benny, anyways, um, if you get any symbols, you have to re-roll all the dice. I don't know. It's it's something crazy. Because to me, that's who Jar Jar is. There is no control. Like, I think it's all luck-based. So you could do something off of, like, if you roll focus, then re-roll the focuses or something like that. Like, it's... I don't know. So, you can kind of go off of something like that. So do you see either something like kind of like a randomizer where it's like yeah. hits and crits equal this, blanks equal this? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I like that. The other option I kind of thought of is when he, when he, as a crew card, when he's over there, you could choose. So you you could have two two things. You could choose to take a strain to re-roll all of your dice, kind of like what Han does. Mm-hmm. Um. Or your opponent could take a strain to make you re-roll any dice they want. So the opponent would get to choose which ones. You would could then take a strain, and it could be triggered in either order. Like I think that would be the one thing where you could say this will violate order of operations, right? So you have yeah. to ask. So like the, it should say, ask your opponent, or do do you personally want to to re-roll all of your dice? Take a strain. If not. Does your opponent want to take a strain to re-roll select dice? And then you could say you want to take a, I don't know, you could, we could we could put it like a third piece on there that says if you want to come back and counter that, you could re-roll all of your dice if you take, you know, another another bad thing. Like a jam, maybe a jam or something like that. Yeah. It's a wall of text. I, I know. <laughs> blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but it's a Jar Jar card. So. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I, I don't know. I kind of thought that was fun. Like I, I like making up our own cards when we we do those things. So, and I thought Jar Jar finally should get his uh, day in the sun at some point. Um, and I don't remember what his destiny card does. Now that you mentioned that, I do know yeah, it, like it some like, of them were blanks, but I can't remember what it is now. Yeah, he had a terrible dice, I think. Um, but part of it, it sort of it acted somewhat like some somewhat like a Greedo. Where like if you don't activate Jar Jar yourself, then your opponent could activate Jar Jar. It it was a weird interaction. Um, so I think that's how I see Jar Jar in general. It's just like this crazy maniac that can change the game to swing it one way or another. <laughs> All right, so here we go. So the let's let's bring it up actually because I think I still have the old database. So um. All right, so that's not the right card. That's a card I never heard of. Somebody made new cards. So it says, any player may take an action to force you to activate this character. After you activate this character, reroll all dice showing a symbol not shown on this character dice. So basically... Oh, so if you if you put upgrades on him, anytime you put an upgrade that didn't have that didn't roll, so if it was like, because he had indirect, uh, deplete resource, get a money, a shield, and a money. Yeah. So if you rolled any, so if he rolled out and he rolled 
like a lightsaber dice or so, or a gun dice that didn't have that one of those symbols, you had to re-roll it. Mm-hmm. So. That's crazy. I don't know. So I think it could it could be something like that where like your opponent is shooting at the ship with the Jar Jar crew, and you know he gets like um, hit hit crit and something like where if Jar Jar rolls his defense die, then like you, like you said, your opponent can then take a strain to make you re-roll it or something like that, um, and see what Jar Jar gets basically. Yeah. The one the one condition I have one I have one <laughs> condition. So What's in that? in have you ever played Marvel Champions? At all? Have no. either of you played Marvel Champions? No, I right. have once. So they have this um, newer hero called Spider Ham, and like some of his texts to do the card, they say you must say this. It's like you must say "Bing Bang Bum Wow," and then you can like reduce the attack coming in. Right? It's just something stupid. <laughs> so the one condition I have is Jar Jar Binks has to have something, some set text that you have to say to get that effect and like there's it's a requirement <laughs> and i say that because the best thing would be is if we're all in a tournament and somebody all of a sudden yells out me so stupid or something like that and then and then it just comes off and then that i how about this i don't care what game i'm pl- how, how how bad i'm losing or winning i will stop everything and laugh it would be an instantaneous laughter for me every time do it it, if Qui-Gon ever becomes like a pilot card, I want his subtitle to say, just because you can speak does not make you intelligent. Like, that's what <laughs> I want his subtitle to be. That'd be so great, man. Oh, that would be good. I'm kind of surprised we don't have a Qui-Gon. Anyway, then let's, that's a, we, maybe we'll talk about that in a future episode. Yeah. yeah. All right. So why don't we talk about Korriban? Does that sound good? Want to get into Korriban? Let's do it. All yeah, right. Man. So what I did, it's the same thing we've done before. So I piled um, the total number of players and rankings, and then I also did the same thing for all the tournaments. Um, so the interesting thing here is there was zero resistance in the cut. <laughs> they resistance did make up 14% of the list, but there was zero resistance in the cut. So it looks like there was a total of 58 players that registered. I have no idea how long all of them played, but they did. There's 58 of them. 10 may cut. It shows we had one rebel cut. Rebel comes in at negative 7%. Um, Empire obviously comes in pretty high at 8%. Uh, we had scum at negative 4. Resistance, 14, negative percent. Republic is up comparatively. First Order is up great, a, a, a big amount, and that we'll talk about that in a second. And then Separatists came in at 10%. So if you look at it, we just average. And again, if somebody wants, we could go through every one of the detail lines for these statistics. Otherwise, if you look at their combined statistics between the difference, the list and the faction, basically Rebel comes out at a negative 4%. Empire comes out neutral. Scum is at negative 1%. Resistance is down 7%. And then First Order, Republic, and Separatists all come in over 5%. So they're obviously the highest. So it looks like Separatists, even though you didn't win, George, did the best overall in terms of how they functioned at the tournament. So then if you go into and we look at the combined ratings for all of the tournaments, all of the major tournaments that we've had since March or I'm sorry, since May, um, overall, we see that Rebel is still at negative one. Empire is still neutral. Scum comes in at negative two. Resistance is still at 4%, though it is down. Um, (laughs) 
resistance is down quite a bit compared to what we had before. First order at two and then 3% each for Republic and Separatist. So overall, we see not big swings uh, in the meta. Uh, resistance, obviously, at the top, but that's because resistance has had almost the fewest amount of players. It did until recently. Um, and that's why that number swings a little bit higher overall. So thoughts, guys? I mean, to me, this seems like it's a decently fair um decently fair showing it, it, this tells me you're taking one of the four bottom factions unless you really like to fly defender vader it seems <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm actually kind of surprised with the decline i mean granted it's a smaller sample size for this particular tournament since there was only 58 players but um it, it's kind of surprising to see a decline of uh the resistance um not being as dominant in terms of um like you know they're showing at how how many players ended up taking it um part of it makes you wonder is if because their faction is kind of stale at the moment in terms of choices um for like what kind of ships you can take um i mean really y wings are staple right now and a falcon is pretty stable i mean again yeah, you'll you'll get poe in there every, every so often but it's either going to be chewy or uh or poe at this time um, with those white wings that come in and with the occasional pod sprinkled in there for flavor, but that's about it, right? You're still not seeing any A-wings being represented in there. And other than Poe, you're not seeing any other uh, X-wings coming in regularly. And, uh, and of course, there's um, you don't really see much of the, resistant, the, the resistance transport as well uh, being used other than like Covenel that comes in occasionally. Um, so there's just not much diversity in the resistance right now, and I think that maybe people are just switching to other factions just for to do something different. I don't think people were playing that faction for the most part until just recently. That was that was what yeah. we saw is that nobody was playing resistance except for a few people. And well, now there's no reason to. <laughs> I, I think I think a big part of the problem with the resistance is like again those one of the strongest. Um, you know, one of the main reasons I played Resistance back in the day, or beginning of 2.0, uh, was the A-Wings. They were super strong. They were consistent. Time on target was great. and But now it just feels like it's not worth it. Uh, there's better cost uh, A-Wings on the Rebel side of things. So Could be. Yeah. Could be. Yep. All right, so let's get into lists a little bit. So we are only going to go over the top four. I refuse to go over a whole bunch of other lists. No offense, Church. Yeah. Um, but we are going to go over interesting lists that we found, whether they were top cut or not. So the winner was Andrew Cox. Congratulations, Andrew. With a very crispy uh, version of the list, there is a couple of different changes. Malaris has concussions. Scorch, a shield upgrade. Um, and if you watch the final, they traded Scorches in one of the rounds, so that was pretty funny. Um, I laughed, at least. Um and then you had Dredge and Grudge. And I think the, the main change there was Daredevil on Grudge. I've not seen that before. Um, and I don't yeah. know how often they got that off. And then the changes to Kylo was to give Kylo extreme maneuvers um, over uh, advanced optics, I believe. Um, yeah. For it. So a little bit less consistent, but more versatile Kylo, especially because you shoot the front or the back and you can do those one hard, one hearts, and that's pretty good. <laughs> Seems like a pretty good thing to me. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I it's an, it's a neat little take on Crispy's list, but obviously, given 
um, that it's we know that that list is powerful and will probably be nerfed. If it isn't, then AMG is definitely not paying attention. I'll just put it that way. All right, Charles, you, or Charles, you're not Charles. JJ, you want to take runner up? Yeah, absolutely. Um, actually, George, if you don't mind, um, you played him here in the top four. Um, so if you want to break it down and kind of give us a your take on this list. Oh, uh, so Charles, yeah, I faced him um, the second round. So we both had a buy. I ended up facing him. Um, <clears throat> I wasn't going to at first, but then there was a whole mix up of players. So like he just got placed in my slot. Um, <laughs> I'm not mad about it though, because he it was uh, he was a nice guy, and like honestly, out of the two lists that I was gonna go up against, I probably would have want, still wanted him. Um, so he had uh, Kylo Ren, um, well three tie whispers, one of them which was Kylo Ren with Malice, Instinctive Aim, Predator, Concussion Missiles, Advanced Optics, and Enhanced Jamming Suite, um, Nightfall with Fanatical, Proton Rockets sensor uh, scramblers and enhance uh, jamming suite and then the 709th legion ace with fanatical similar lo lo loadout rockets sensor scramblers um same jam and then commander malaris with fanatical cluster missiles <laughs> and scorch uh fanatical predator and optics so a lot of fanatical shenanigans happening here um he played his list well um he made a lot of smart decisions during our game. Um, I think a lot of it was due to the fact that, like, I wasn't as familiar with, like, the the tie, the whisper, just facing it in general. So a lot of my approaches were um, not approaches that I would make again. It's a learning experience. And, um, yeah, like, he, he punches hard, and then he can, you know, bug out with those uh, rear arcs that he can, you know, turn the turret around and still fire uh, missiles out of it, but so it was a uh, it was a tough game. Um, I found myself like just you know crawling to to get back up there in points, um, but it ended up being a close game after all. Very good. All right. Um, next list is Nathaniel Blair, JJ. Yeah, so Nathaniel here brought a scum list. Uh, he we have Iman Azaman with Maul, Concussion Bomb, Seismic Charges, and the Andrasta title. Kashka Frost in the uh, Fire Spray as well with Notorious Ahsoka Tano, then Man Switch, Marauder, and Veteran Tail Gunner. And then Q9 in the SC70 uh, with the Child, Mandalorian, uh, Greedo, Contraband Cybernetics, Baffle, and the Race Crest title. Uh, to finish off this list uh, really good uh, list here you got two fire sprays which are really really good um, and then q9 uh, which can it can be really difficult to to pin down um, i believe he was on stream on one of the games and the way that he just flew q9 was just great it was fantastic um and uh yeah this is a really solid list i like it a lot and the last top four list that we had was Greg Squire with a tie swarm without Vader, it looks like. We had Aiden and Moth Gideon, two Jingoists, a Wampa, Captain Faroff and the Tie Reaper with the Child, Targeting Computer and Ruthless, and Vizier with Palpatine. So a little bit different. Um, a different. I, I have seen this overtuned ran on those jingoists. I just I'm not super big fan. I know why they do it is because you use it for um, picking up an objective and popping it at the same time. So you have mods. Um, 
But I'll be honest with you, when I see that, unless there's no other ships to shoot at, I do not uh, let them spend their calculate tokens and let them get a bunch of strain. Because <laughs> then, yeah, then it's just like saying, exactly. giving them a middle finger back. It's like, yep, yeah, you're going to strain me now that I'm at range one. You can have all the strain to you little fuckers. I hate you. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, so a little bit different. Uh, I like Gideon with the cluster missiles. I think that's great. I think Gideon was one of the slept on uh, pilots. I think it, he gets overshadowed by Aiden. But once you pull Vader out, you 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 start to have other options, right? Like we now have other reasons to live that are not for Vader. And um, I think that that gives Gideon a time to shine. And I think in this list, this list is more versatile than the Vader lists are when it comes to taking objectives. I think this list really does well because you can kind of send them in to do whatever. Um. Yeah. Uh, one thing too, like you got to remember, um, with the elusive on Wampa and Iden as well, they are super like dodgy. <laughs> You'd be surprised. Um, but you also have to remember the triggers as well. So yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Definitely. But I agree with you. I like the elusive on Iden better. Um. Mm -hmm. Personally, but that's just me. I, I, I ever said JJ's the uh, guy that got me into elusives. So I never used to fly elusive until I met JJ. And then it was this art. We had this <laughs> argument. Like, seriously, we had like a whole argument about it. And then he's like, you just need to fly it, man. And then I float a couple of times. I was like, all right, well, you know, it saved me uh, that dice variance. It saves me. So if I have, if I don't have a better reason to take, you know, a talent upgrade, I'm always taking elusive over everything yeah. else. All right. So now we have some interesting lists, some ones that um, I felt were worthy. Not all of them made any sort of cut, but I felt they were worth um, kind of going over um, quite a bit. Um, so Steve McKenna has the first one for Rebel. Somebody, uh, J JJ or George, one of you two. Get to yeah, take that. I'll do this one. So he's uh, flying a Rebel list here. We have uh, A-Wing Hera with Elusive Predator fire control system, and proton rockets. Ahsoka's tunnel with its shattering shot, trick shot, and concussion missiles. Uh, Benthic tube tubes with Jyn Erso, Perceptive Co-Pilot, Contraband, and the Pit Wing. And then Bodica Venge making an appearance here in the Fang Fighter, the Rebel Fang Fighter with Crack Shot and Predator uh, to round off the list. Uh, a really nice five, uh, excuse me, four ship list, uh, each of them five points apiece. Uh, Hera being able to uh, have those passive mods with Elusive and Predator allows her to most likely keep those tokens um, so that way she can pass it off to other ships that can use it. And Benthic two tubes can actually uh, feed that Hera those extra tokens that she needs. Um, and then uh, then Jin Urso, uh, one of those focuses, if they pass it over into an Evade at any time, um, those are passed over. Uh, so this is a, a really interesting list. I like it a lot. Yeah, I like it too. I like the uh, the use of Bodica. I don't know where Sandy went to, but if they were here, they would tell you the same thing. Yeah, right. That's, that's like their ship that they like to fly. I, I will tell you, I've flown Bodica a couple times, and I I'm not a big Rebel player, so I don't do very well with um with them. But uh, it is Bodica's fun, especially when you get it off. It's kind of fun to be able to have that double tap on a on a Fang Fighter. Like I mean, like you don't think about that on a small ship. I will say I'm not super sold on the Ahsoka shattering shot trick shot. Um, I understand why, but like I, I like the extreme maneuvers piece on her yeah. better actually, um, because you could two bank out of arc and then just extreme maneuvers back in. And like this is like oh, there you go, yeah. Merry Christmas, you know. 
Um, I think this list is really good too because there's so much token passing without having the Garvin generation. Um, and I think that's why Bodic is in there is because Garvin at this point is probably not needed when you have Bentic and Ahsoka who can coordinate and Hera who can do you know all the passing anytime they want to. So neat little list. George, you want to take Kevin? Uh, sure. Um, we'll give you all the Empire list tonight. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, he's flying uh, Decimator with Morna Key as the pilot, um, with Ruthless, Emperor Palpatine, Proximines, Delayed Fuses, Electronic Baffle, and the Dauntless title. Um, countdown on the Striker with Predator, Ruthless, Proton Bombs, and Delayed Fuses. Two ISB Jangoists with uh, Dead Man Switch, because why not? <laughs> and then Merrick Steele in the TIE Advance. I haven't seen him in a long time, but dang, there he is. Uh, marksmanship, Ruthless, Fire Control Systems, and Afterburners. Um, I'm not familiar with Morna Key. What is her ability, ability actually? So she can, uh, uh, at the end, during the end phase, she can flip one of her three charges to instead of discarding her reinforced token to flip That's it over right. um, yep. to the other side. Yeah. Super strong, makes her a little bit tanky, um, can ab absorb a lot of stuff going on. Because I imagine that he's going in hard with this to maybe get some proxy mines and, and stuff like that after the fact, after he passes through people. Um, Django is doing Django's things, and then Merrick Steele, man. I like it. <laughs> I don't know why, yeah. but I like Merit Steel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's really good with uh, with marksmanship and afterburners, just getting in that boost, and then you can barrel roll focus if you need to, and um, and as long as you have that bullseye, you're going to guarantee that uh, that Merit Steel trigger when it gets into hole. It's really great. And yeah, and he's yeah. an I five too, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I five. Yeah. I mean, just just that if you're not gonna if you're gonna take an X one. I think that's probably the better X one to take outside of Vader, right? Um, yeah. I'm a little weirded out by the countdown. I just I'm not a striker fan. I guess my strikers so, do not live. <laughs> so. Yeah, countdown is actually really strong. I I, I would say um, I, I've had the opportunity to play against Marcel a few times, and he's actually includes countdown in his list. And um, if you're if you're one on one uh with uh with countdown countdown usually has the advantage because he's no matter what you throw at it you could roll perfect natty crits at countdown uh as long as countdown is not stress countdown's gonna be like okay i'm just gonna um take a stress and just cancel all your results and i'm just gonna take a focus so if he's a um if he's a carrier for a crate um he's he's gonna be immune to those crits uh pretty much if you don't focus all your fire to him and if you take it down, you're only getting four points in return, and the rest of the list most likely is coming in to back you up. Uh, so countdown can be a really, um, a really hard pilot to to take down if you don't focus fire on him. Um, and uh, and if you if he decides to run away and you chase him, he's got proton bombs right behind you, um, yeah. right behind him to to you know for your trouble. So it's uh, it's definitely a really um, interesting pilot to take a look at. Um, as an option for the Empire. So. What yeah. about that hidden tech electronic baffle on Mordecai? <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. 
That's really nice, actually. Yeah, I love Bathwall Monarchy, man. It, it's it's really nice to help like take away those bumps, uh, or rather to take away the dauntless uh, stress, uh, so that way you can just do the next maneuver that you need to um, with uh, with Monarchy. It's nice. And I like that electronic bath bowl is not a crit. It's just a hit. So like, especially when you're only in shields still, like who cares? You know, like it's like, oh, oh no, I'm reinforced anyway. So I just got rid of three hits that were supposed to come in. I'll take one so I can do whatever I want next turn. Um, yep. The only sad thing I think on here is not having uh agile gunner, right? <laughs> like, like, and it's just yeah. after playing the lats, it's like, I really like the agile gunner um, tool for three points. Like, mm, so tasty. Um, I almost think I would get rid of the delayed fuses um, and ruthless. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. You know, is there a way to figure out how to get that in there? Uh, is ruthless one or two points? It's only one, right? It's one. It's one. Yeah, it's one. Mm-hmm. So you still have to come up with another one. point. but Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> Either which way. All right. The next list I found was from Lucas, which was a separatist list. With Watambor, baby, Watambor is back with a K2B4, my favorite upgrade. I ran that stupid little droid um, until they made the change to 2.5, like, hands down all the time. Um, so here we have a Watambor with marksmanship, impervium plating, K2B4, uh, one bombardment drone with prox mines and calculates, and then a separatist drone with discords a DFS 81 with discords, two holocrons with energy shells, and then a Cad Bane instead of Grievous, which is a spicy choice there. That's a pretty spicy choice, in my opinion, overtaking the uh, General Grievous. But he has Notorious, Ion, Cannon, Heavy Laser Cannon, Electro Chafe Missiles, Dead Man Switch, and Xanadu Blood. Very interesting list. Um, this is like the list of mixed initiatives. That's what this is. You have fours, ones, three. Like that's the one thing I hate about these Helicron droids is because they're they're an I one, so it's like such a pain in the butt to remember moving. Um, but I like this list. I thought this was kind of cool. Um, nice to see Watt back a little bit. Um, be nice to see a little bit more Watt there. Yeah, I mean, and the fact that you can you can get both. What and Cad Bane, and then still have enough for four drones and a bombardment drone on top of that. I mean, that's that's really good. I like it. <laughs> yeah, I think that's very spicy and very neat. Um, <clears throat> you know, and and I guess I see the Cad. I see the reason to have Cad because if they go after Cad, you're notorious them, right? And you have to really focus fire to get rid of Cad, and then everything else just kind of comes in to take care of you. And if you don't shoot Cad. He's getting free actions, and chances are at an I four those free actions are barrel roll, barrel roll, baby. I'm gonna barrel roll. Get me some. Yeah. Get me some. Big on Jay said that. Uh, Big on Jay said in the chat that he actually got to play him, and uh, he actually got to uh, to uh, maneuver out the way of a few proximity binds um, after other um, after he got those hits on his ability. Um, so that's that's huge. Yeah, that's huge. Yeah, that's a good point. Didn't think yeah, about that's that. Value right there. Yeah. Mm. So tasty. All right. Next list. <laughs> we got to keep moving. Otherwise, yeah. we're not going to have time for anything else. Um, so the the next one we have here is Bryce Calistani, uh with Scum and Villainy. 
Uh, this one is actually, I believe, he played on the first uh, the first turn or the first screen game on GSP. Uh, he has Teltrabotor with Cutthroat, Proton Cannons, Ion Torpedoes, IG-11 Crew, Greedo, and Deadman Switch. <laughs> Ahav with Cutthroat, Over 2 Modulators, Deadman Switch, Targeting Computer, an Autopilot Drone, and then Bosk uh, in the Z-95 with Marksmanship, Crackshot, Burnout Thrusters, and then Q9 with the Child, Mandalorian, B21, uh, Babu Frick, and Razor Crest. Um, I happened to catch the mid to late part of this uh, for this of this game on stream, and he traded an autopilot drone and Bosk in exchange for Poe, um, which was a fantastic trade. <laughs> he was fighting against a Poe, Ray, and two Y Wing list, and he just it was just great. Um, the other secret sauce about this particular list is Teltrarora, right? With Cutthroat and IG-11 uh, IG and Deadman Switch. So Teltrarora can technically die uh, from IG, get redeployed, and still have the IG-11 um, protocol and just, just spend his actions just recharging that constantly. Um, it's hilarious. I actually like that a lot. It's, it's great. So I have a question. When he dies does that man switch immediately trigger and then can um, you, and I then does cutthroat get the trigger to add it back i think so you could cutthroat the ig11 charge um but dead man switch and ig i believe trigger um actually i'm sorry uh dead man switch triggers when you're destroyed and teltrover's ability is uh after or before you are destroyed okay so when um so it would not happen. it would be the second time he would die but ig11 should trigger if you're if you're on at the end phase mm -hmm. um so you can explode deal your crit then teltrover that and come back in that's hilarious I I just thought it was hilarious with the autopilot drone. I was like I was like where who's trolling who's trolling here? We have no gamut key. There's no gamut key, and <laughs> I see zero gamut key, and I see a Bosk again, which is good. And then we have a Hav, which we didn't think we'd ever see again, really. And an autopilot drone. Like you could trade those two for 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 um Cad Bane, but um everything's everything in his list says just shoot me and let me die. Just shoot me and let me die. <laughs> I want to die. <laughs> Please. <laughs> it's like the, it's like tiny Rick episode. That's what it is from Rick and Morty. Yeah. All right. George, so you, the, yeah, go ahead, George. Yep. Yeah. As I was gonna say, George, you want to take Andrew Pervat's separatist list? I thought this was pretty hilarious too. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, so he's, uh, riding with a, Tri Fighter with DIST 81, is that how you'd say it? Uh, treacherous yeah. fire control systems, independent calculations, shield upgrade, and intercept booster. Um, then you got Pre Vizsla and the Gauntlet Fighter uh, with marksmanship, Bo Katan, um, Death Watch Commandos, nice, Veteran Tail Gunner, Drop Seat Bay, and Swivel Ring. So, sorry, swivel, swivel Wing, there it is. Uh, bombardment Drone in the Hyena class. And then uh, with Proxmines, independent calculations, landing struts, uh, DFS 81 with energy shells, independent calculations, grappling struts, and then two separatist drones with Discord missiles, grappling struts, and independent calculations. Um, <clears throat> these, this is a solid list. Um, I can't remember Previsla's ability because I don't actually own a Gauntlet fighter. 
uh, murder you every yeah. other turn. So oh, he, that's right. he he can spend two charges to roll an additional dice against an enemy with the same initiative or higher. Uh, so yeah, at range one, that's five dice um, mm-hmm. out the front. So that is really good. Yeah. And uh, DIST81 Tri Fighter, I actually like this build um, because even though you have independent calculations, which turns off your network calculates, his ability still allows you to spend another friendly's calculate token right. on offense or defense. So it's like having the best of both worlds uh, yeah. for, for that particular ability. So it's really, really great. Um, this is actually very similar to my previous list that was running for NCX for a while. Um, the only difference is that he traded Grievous for uh, DIS and uh, and upgrading one of the drones into a Barbarma drone, which is actually a really good trade. Um, I like this list a lot. Definitely a lot of guns on the board. And uh, and yeah, he's nice. Yeah, for four points, I think it's a good value too. Like initiative four as well. And like you can put mm-hmm. 12 points on there. It was just solid. And I, honestly, with a shield upgrade, I'd feel pretty comfortable flying that. Yeah, absolutely. All right. JJ, you want to take the last list, and then we're going to transition segments. Yeah. So the last one here is Nicholas God. Uh, he is a very well-known player, very, very good. Uh, flying a Rebel list here, and he's flying two VCX carriers. I was so excited to see this list. Uh, first one is Chopper with Dorsal Turret, The Child, Ben Rao, and Veteran Turret Gunner. Alexander Callis with Dorsal Turret, Saul Guerrero, and Veteran Turret Gunner. Iron Kraken with Elusive and Plasma Torpedoes, and then Arbal Crin with Crackshot and Predator. Um, I did not see any, I, I didn't see him play at all, but just looking at this list, man, two double tapping uh, uh, VCXs, one of them that could jam you if you go into the block. And I think Chopper's value in, in 2.6 is just so much better um, just because he basically prevents you from getting the, the red focus um, if you bump. Um, and he could easily go in there and uh, just just punish you really, really uh, hard. And then Fenral um, allowing you to take away those red tokens uh, when you engage. And, man, it is just so good. Iron Kraken just giving you that um, that later coordinate ability, essentially, with his ability. And Arvel to set up the block for other ships trying to get away. I mean, this is a list that denies you from so- taking um, scenario actions and just does a lot. Yeah. So how how does Callus double tap here? I, uh, I or I'm sorry, he doesn't double tap. Uh, actually, no, he does. Uh, he has dorsal and better return gunner. So as long as you point it forward, you can shoot twice at within range one to two. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I like this list uh, quite quite a bit actually. Um, I was kind of surprised, a little bit surprised. Uh, we haven't seen more VCXs on the board um, in Rebel. Like, I think this is a good counter to some of the uh, decimators that we see. Um, but I don't know. So, all right. So what we're going to do real quick, uh, before we get in, we're, we will go through, we're not going to actually go through JJ's and George's list. Like, do not break your list down, please. I do not. At this point, we, we've already done that before. And yes, I know George, you changed your list up a little bit, but not enough to, uh, not enough for us to, to spend fifteen minutes on. But what I want to do is for the last segment, which is kind of part of our main series here. So our main series is comparing chess pieces, how chess strategy works, and how X-wing works. And and I really feel there's like a huge correlation here 
Um, <clears throat> and I feel a little bit more confident sometimes because some of the other podcasts that I listen to talk about strategy, but it, it, they, they just use different words. And it's like, well, this is a direct correlation to, in my opinion here. Um, uh, John, will talk about his jingle. That's fine. Um, we, I, I, but I think here, one of the big things is understanding where the lists and different things match up. So last week in our series, we talked about how each of the different chess pieces equals a different piece in the X-Wing life, right? You know, like we talked about pawns and droids, and we talked about Boba Fett being um, a queen, and basically that there's almost no kings really ever that exist uh, inside of most of the lists. Um, but what I wanted to talk about tonight, and this is before we even get into like turn zero or anything else, is basic strategic concepts of chess. So chess has essentially what I would call five core um, strategic concepts. And they're different than tactics, right? So we have a tactic over here and, and strategic over here. And strategic is more of your long-term planning. Tactic is more of your in the moment, how you make decisions, where you make those changes. We will talk about those. Do not get me wrong. Those will 100% come up, um, especially because we're going to break every scenario down here um, over the course of the next couple of months. But to begin with, you have to have strategic scenarios. And I and I, I don't remember the philosopher, there, but there was a philosopher that basically said, you cannot have strategy without tactics, and you cannot have tactics without strategy. And I don't remember who it was, but there's a famous philosopher that um, like said that. Maybe somebody can look it up, because I have no idea who it is off the top of my head. Um, and the idea here is, in chess, the strategy is your material count, piece activity, your pawn structure, the spacing that it provides, and then king safety. And so what I thought is because the two guys on the stream had to face each other this weekend for a very pivotal game, in fairness, um, in terms of one of them having to go down one loss and force the other one to 100% win both games to get into cut. I thought it would be a good idea to let's, let's start out talking a little bit about their list, how they interacted, how they played that game, and then kind of transition into there. How do we adjust and learn and, and, and define these basic strategic concepts that we have in chess and apply them to X-Wing? All right. So, JJ, you're up, baby. Yeah, so uh, we'll go over my particular list here first. Um, so uh, it's a very simple list. It's something I've been uh, working on with Chris for a while here. Uh, it is Boba Fett uh, in the Fire Spray uh, with Iman and Zayman also in the Fire Spray. Uh, Iman loaded out to the max with, um, with Proximity Mines, Ray Cargo Shoot, and Seismic Charges um, just to take full advantage of Iman's ability to bank those. And Kanan Jarrus with Maul. Uh, serves as a protective piece for my particular list. Um, in in general strategy uh, for this particular list, Boba acts as my hammer uh, while Iman can assault from afar. And um, if you do decide to go after Iman, Kanan usually helps protect both of these fire sprays, um, makes them very difficult to take them down. And I try to, in general, try to uh, take down my list or take down my opponent's list um, versus focusing on objectives. Um, such as salvage, uh, where you have to take those or like scramble the transmissions, for instance. Um, and that's the, uh, the general, um, strategy for that, uh, for my list there. George, 
Uh, I don't think you actually have my list, but basically, I mean, you, we pretty much know it by now. I got Django Fett pretty much loaded. Yeah, I made, I did make some changes to Django Fett, which is the only thing that I changed in my list, which was uh, adding proxy mines um, and just switching it up from thermals be from before. Uh, Chancellor Palpatine and uh, Boba Fett in the gunner seat. Uh, the reason being, uh, for those changes, I bumped up Palpatine um, just to create more opportunities to just ha add a little bit more control. Um, so I have an opportunity after defending to uh, spend the force to, uh, you know, give a stress to the opponent. Um, which, again, it, it works out because, I mean, if I have a focus, um, most of the time I don't need to use the force on defense or anything like that or offense. Um, I feel pretty good with just a focus token most of the time, and then I, I'm putting more control in my opponent, and that in combination with Notorious, sorry, I forgot to mention, Notorious is also added. Um, I'm also giving them a strain uh, when defending, which opens up the window for my little droids to, you know, puncture through any, like, high-agility ships, which is really important. Um, I don't typically try to focus on jousting so much i focus on objectives and i think that's like the the strength of my list because a lot of it is based on like my my favorite is assault obviously um just sit on a rock and call it home for a little bit while Django and grievous do their thing fair enough so when we talk a little bit about strategy right we talk about material count right so material count to begin with like what that is is the concept of counting piece piece you know worth right and like we talked about that before like pawns are worth one bishops are worth three knights are worth three this this and that and i know in this this scenario it's a little bit harder so for example boba fett's a queen he's worth nine um there you go like that actually matches a um that matches the uh, the chess theory there. Whereas, what did we categorize Eamon as last time? Eamon was a rook oh, last rook. time, right? Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. And then you have you have Kanan Jarrus, which is essentially your bishop there. Um, and the idea is is you have all these different point values and 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 things like that. So when we talk about material count, the idea is for strategy is you need to understand points wise where you're at. And I think in this game, this is pre that's pretty easy because we count points every round. So like, like we always know where we're at, but you have to know when, what's going to die next, where it's going to die next, um, where can you get your next kill, and it go, that goes a lot of that goes into like in strategies, right? And if you wait till the last turn of the game, and you're going, ooh, I better calculate what my win condition is, you've probably lost already, or you're so far ahead that it's inconsequential at that point, right? Um, one of the two things. Uh, and and if we look at George's list, we have Django Fett, who is obviously the queen. A little bit different um, with the pelt choice there, and I think we should talk about how often you use pelt to add stress to other people. Um, because I think for 14 points, I agree when you talk about pelt versus Dooku. Like, in reality, pelt is more consistent, less likely for you to waste Dooku on BS, which I find happens way too often um, with him. But anyway, so you have that, right? And then the idea here is, is I lost my train of thought. The idea here is like, so Django's the queen. You have Grievous, who is probably your rook character in this one based on how you have it loaded out. 
and then you have three pawns. So you have a very weird list here where you could almost argue your hyena bomber could turn into a knight depending on the scenario or the choice, right? But understanding where your piece count is and understanding where your 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 value becomes is so important because of the fact of you have to be able to position correctly to get your minds off to get these different things um, to trigger. So if we move down, oops, I got to pick the right screen to move down on. If we move down to like the matchup, I did not. Is this how you all deployed? Yeah, that was the uh, the the best um, recollection to my knowledge on how our setup was for our game here. Yeah, it seems familiar. It seems familiar. <laughs> You're killing me. Yeah. Okay, so now, there just we for go. Clarity, just for clarity, the uh, the yellow fire spray um, on the left side of the board is my Iman Azaman, and Boba is the red fire spray on the top left of the board. Yep, and that's because JJ thinks he's he's coy by going in and and landing on that obstacle with Kira. He, he likes to do that, so you know it's like his favorite thing to do. He oh, I found out to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you didn't know that, John? I could have told. It, it was. <laughs> it it, uh, it it was effective. I gotta say, yeah. <laughs> um, because what you have to do, George, is is so. I, I guess you should have asked. Like I told you, you have to target lock in with Django to get rid of that thing, and then he can't shoot. He can't do anything. He takes a stress. You know, like it's done and over with. So. Yeah, he has to focus on relocking it then. Yes. And that's a waste. Yeah. Yes. So. Yeah. Anyway, that little little tip, little tip for anybody that wants to fly against somebody running Kira, just get rid of their lock and you're okay, baby. Like you can ionize them too. That's the best part. Ionize gets rid of locks, like all these sorts of things. Do that. Like Kira is probably good at two points. Like that's that's probably a good point value for her because if you think about it, if she was any more and you lost that lock and got screwed over by that rock, you'd be pretty pissed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway. So we talk about material count, you know, depending on how the engagement goes will depend on, you know, exactly where they want to, you know, land, how they want to do it, all those different things. Um, obviously, we know JJ is 100% going to go to the, the front and center with Iman, try to absorb some of that damage, get through that obstacle, and then be able to start dropping stuff, um, which I will say we can, when we came up with the rig cargo shoot thing has been so monumental for Iman just hands down has been wonderful because especially because people don't think about it and yes, it's an action, but when it drops and you hit it, you're screwed. Like it's you're it's, it's not a fun thing to, to run into. And then if you have side spinks, you just blow it up. After the sure. <laughs> you just blow it up and say, screw you. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to one bank with Ema and hope I keep you on that obstacle and drop a side spink and say, Merry Christmas. Um, yeah, that, that, that pretty much happened right on the body, actually. <laughs> yeah. It's almost yeah, like I've flown that list before. <laughs> so yeah, so let's um let's kind of like walk through how our game started here. So um so part of uh my my thought process, right, when we're um when I'm evaluating my opponent's list is trying to identify what's the most important piece in his list. Um, so for me, when I'm taking a look at George's list and I see the way that he's set up here, my, um, my main concern is going to be, uh, Django fetch 
um, since that is going to be his end game piece, which can uh, potentially eliminate any one of my ships at a higher initiative um, and can withstand a lot of attacks. The other part I was worried about is his General Grievous, which acts uh, more as that um, that bishop piece that if I ignore it, um, it can hit me uh, pretty hard, um, especially without maneuver. So those are the two main pieces I wanted to contend with. Um, at the same time, while I do want to concentrate as much as my firepower there, um, his pawn pieces are also very good objective grabbers. And in this particular scenario that we were playing was salvage mission. Um, so his drones are very, very good at just going up and grabbing the objectives. And I either have to spend my time trying to chase them down and have them drop their crates, or I can try to go after his bigger pieces and hope that it can take him down in time. So um, his setup here uh, definitely has me uh, working to try to make a decision how um, how I'm going to go. So the very first turn, I have to um, commit to either going after his big ships or try to concentrate uh, on his uh, on his objective grabbers and um, and try to see if I can take them down as quickly as I can. George, what about you? Um, well. I wasn't quite sure how to approach your list. Um, I would be happy with taking either of your fire sprays down um, in this case. Uh, so my focus on this was generally just to um, draw you into Django. So I wanted Django to be the, the primary target. Um, so that's why I put him where I did, um, hoping that I can draw the fire from uh, Boba Fett, mostly. I was just trying to draw in Boba Fett so that Grievous could do his thing. Um, but then when you placed Boba Fett where you did, because um, obviously I placed Grievous first, you placed Boba Fett there at the end, then you f that's why you forced me to put <laughs> Django where I did. So that's that's the reasoning for my positioning there, because usually I do kind of like the opposite, put one uh, Grievous in one end, Django on the other end. Um, but yeah, I wasn't having it on this one. I needed Django to be the the wall, so to speak, um, to tank some of the hits. And yeah, that's that's basically my thing. I I was just part of my strategy was go after whoever you uh, gave me first, who whoever was juicy, because I have fallen into that trap of going after Kanan first, and that hasn't gone well for me. So yeah, uh, yeah, Kanan is very tough to take down. Yeah, I was just gonna stick stick with whoever you gave me first was my focus target basically. Yeah, absolutely. And then um, the um, the first round um, we were kind of like testing each other a little bit. My plan from the get go was uh, since you had left Grievous uh, on the edge there, kind of kind of far away. You were at, at, at about distance to or range to from uh, from Django Fett. Um, my initial thought was that you would attempt to try to come in as a feint um, towards the center so that way you can draw me close to Django. Um, so I aggressively dialed in um, Boba Fett to go in um, out of four straight and then I boosted towards Django knowing that I had enough space to still come back to the outside um, if you decided to come back in with Grievous and you, um, you basically set up your droids to make sure that they got at least two objectives on the first uh, on the first turn that I was able to, or that you're able to, and um, and start threatening uh, the rest of my list. Um, after I moved up uh, Iman towards the center of the board, um, did did your assessment change on how you wanted to approach my list after there? 
Um, well, yeah, obviously, because by then uh, you did read the faint well on that. Um, so right off the bat, uh, yes, knowing that I had the numbers, um, I did go after the objectives first. Uh, that was my priority was just pick up boxes and get that timer going. So put some pressure on you uh, on the game. And yeah, I did the one hard with Grievous. You um, you proceeded to do kind of call it, and I thought you were going to go into the board, and I was like, all right, well maybe he's going after Django, um, and then you turned right back into Grievous, and uh, you caught him right in the in the arc um, with Boba, um, which sort of forced me to like bring in Django harder than I expected because I had to then use my rear arc to go after Boba on that turn. Um, yeah, do some damage to Boba, but um, so yeah, a couple things changed uh, because then with me having to boost and flying away from Boba, I was just like, all right, well, what's ahead of me is where I'm going now. So like, Iman was obviously the next target, basically. So you made me switch targets. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. All right. So now let's talk a little bit, and I don't know how to draw on this one, but let's, let's actually, let's apply some things here, right? So we're going to go through real quick the different um, the different pieces, right? So the first thing that we have is the material count, right? Which essentially is you you all just counting, you know, your ship's points and blah, blah, blah. That's, that's, that's not a big deal. I think everybody does that in X-Wing. The next one is peace activity, right? This is more of an abstract concept, right? And the idea here is the concept is how active are your pieces on the board? Are they looking to accomplish something every single turn? And what are they going to accomplish? And the concept is, is to do is to understand the strategy of each one of your pieces and how they are on, uh, how they uh, will fight on the board. So a good example is the way JJ flies Kanan. And I could be wrong here, but my assumption is Kanan went for a bank or a hard maneuver to begin with, rotated the arc to the right, and then kind of slowly trailed behind um, Eamon and allowed you to be able to, no, hit no, both so, of your fire space, sprays, sprays. Yeah, so part of the the um, the initial strategy here is that because he, there, he had the superior numbers, I had to be able to at least help mitigate that loss in numbers and salvage. So my uh, focus with Kanan here, um, although he is the main defensive support for Iman, was to make sure that he grabbed that bottom right objective on my end. Um, so that forced my Kanan to fly um, parallel to Iman and then slowly also parallel to the right as the, as the, the match continued um, because I wanted Iman to eventually um, target his drones and decided to come down there. Or if he was getting chased, I wanted that rear arc of Iman to be uh, directed towards Django. And I could still keep Kanan um, shadowing him on the edge as they're both turning. Um, so that's that's how I start off my initial, which is going straight to make sure that Kanan did secure that, um, that initial target. And then start moving him towards the right um, to force uh, the chase from Django. So. Yep. So the idea here, right, is your peace activity. And the idea here is, is you used Kanan because you said, I'm going to have a hard time getting crates and mm -hmm. you don't really want crates with fire sprays and in, in fairness, like that's definitely not the, um, that's probably not the prime objective here. And 
you decided to mitigate, whereas George spent two of his droids, and I don't know which ones, but two droids picked up crates round two. I would assume it would be red and the bombardment drone. Um, yeah. Uh, based on how you have it set up. Yeah, it's like I fly separatists too often. Um, but um, <laughs> that would be my assumption. And, and I'll tell you, George, like I like like your I've been flying a version of your list a little bit more often now. And I like even with going and picking up two crates or two objectives with two of those, I find that it is a huge points fortress for people for, for that list. Like it is an insane amount because then you have to like if especially if it's um just the sit by the uh, the assault one. I mean, that droid's just going to take calculates and sit there and like, hey, if you come close, I'm going to discord you. If you don't come close, so I, it's a free point. Like this should cost me two two points. I just need two rounds with this to get my worth out of it. You know, yeah. Um, and if I get four rounds, hell, I'm making money here, baby. Um, and and I find anyway, and I find so I find when we talk about objective placement and things like that, that's what it is. So so peace activity. So let's talk a little bit about that because each churn you have to do something. Each churn you have to do do different things. JJ, do you feel that every on every round you got sufficient amount of um, either damage output or scenario objective capturing with each one of your um ships no actually um because of george's adjustment in the game uh where he decided to switch targets with Django to go after iman um it, typically in salvage i tend to try to have iman also pick up a crate um even though that does disable his boost ability um, just so this makes it uh, Iman more of an incentive uh, for players to come after him. And I can usually support the rear of Iman with Boba Fett coming um, behind those enemies that chase um, that chase Iman. Um, so because of the of the change of, of priority for uh, for Django, that forced me to abandon my initial uh, strategy with Iman and go into the more defensive route of trying to place uh, Django on my back and um, and deploy obstacles behind me, and then use that to slow him down and use my bombs um, to to help soften off that target enough for Iman to also deal enough damage um, and hopefully survive any initial attacks uh, with Kanan support there. Um, so I didn't feel that I was able to fully utilize Iman. Um, those scenario objective points actually made the difference in the end of the game um, because uh, I, I wasn't able to keep up with the objective race. And had I had um, that extra uh, objective um, available, then I think that it, it, it would have made a difference in this matchup. George, how about you? Do you feel you were able to be active on every churn and get, get value out of your pieces every churn? Yeah, the two droids that uh, picked up the the um, objective right away, they definitely got use. Because um, I believe the bomber was the one that kept it throughout the whole game. So yep. he most definitely, mm -hmm. you know, came through. Um, the little droid blew up eventually, but he got me enough. He, he lived through like two rounds with the objective, I think. Um, the one that I found was harder to get the value from mostly was Grievous. Um, because there were def definitely a couple of turns when I had to adjust for Boba for once. Um, he had to like bug out, and he spent a couple turns just trying to get back into the fight and maybe catch up with like flanking Iman. 
Um, and even then, once he got to Iman, uh, because I was so scared of Iman's ability and bombs, he bugged out again. Like, I wasn't willing to, like, risk flying through a bomb with his, you know, wide range of, like, arc that he has dropping a proxy. Um, so he bugged out again. And eventually just, I, I said, uh, F it. <laughs> I, uh, I went towards the, the top most uh, objective with Grievous and picked that one up towards the end of the game. Um, so it was just like, all right, well, I'm not doing anything with Grievous. Let me do something else with him if I'm not attacking. Yeah. So when we talk about the piece, piece here, right, you know, like, and I think that's, that's a good point. And I have a quick question about your Grievous because, and then maybe this just is a flying, you know, how I fly Grievous a little bit differently based mm -hmm. on, and maybe it's cause I know JJ, but, um, based on this, could you have done a too hard to your left barrel roll all the way back? And then that gives you the option of, Oh, am I going to run from Boba forcing Boba to come in on, on Django? And then you can too hard again to the right next time and then take your focus and then say, Hey, by the way, Boba, I was just kidding. Are you, you know, do you want to fight me or not? Cause you can then too hard, barrel roll to your to your right all the way back take your focus let boba get a range three shot and then shoot around boba or shoot towards boba and try to get you know if you guess this maneuver right you're you're doing good um and then then, then you get your out maneuver shot um with them but i think in this list with those lists it's harder with those fire sprays with the out maneuver and i think it lowers grievous's value without maneuver because of that yeah, I definitely don't like going up against fire sprays with uh, Grievous, but hey, that's a lot of the field nowadays. <laughs> oh, um, all right. So the next piece is pawn structure, right? And when they talk about pawn structure, pawn structure is where are the pawns placed regarding specific um, positions, right? And disregarding or disregarding the placement of all other pieces, right? So this is the most crucial piece to your strategy, right? And this is probably where, and George, this is kind of what I want to get into a little bit with you um, as a separatist player, is when we talk about pawns, obviously droids are easy to think about as a pawn because they have two green dice and they almost always die. No matter what you want to do, a droid is expendable. But you have a five ship list with three droids and two out of those three can be one-shotted, no questions asked. So when they talk about pawn structure, right, it's about where can you create the strategy to allow space for your other ships to move, creating ability to give your ships that active piece activity, right? Allowing them to be active pieces. And how do you create a positive um, material count, right? So that you're taking more ships off the board or taking more objectives for points than other ships or other places. And this is where we talk about pawn setup, right? And so JJ, and I could have told you this when you started, JJ was going to go in there with Iman and say, here I am, come shoot me so I can fly past you and drop mines on you because that's what I like to do. And, um, you know, Eamon's not the double tapper. And if you get Eamon and you shoot at him, he's just using Notorious right back at you. He's just saying, screw you. Here you go, baby. And stuff like that. Now, um, 
Given that fact, did you fly or do you feel with your list when you talk about pawn structure, do you fly your droids the way a lot of people flew them in 2.0? Do you get a little bit more aggressive? Do you put them out there just so you can make sure you get your discord off before you die or your proxy mine off before you die? Um, or, or do you fly them a little bit more cagey and treat them more like knights and bishops? Uh me personally, I treat them more like um, knights or bishops. They're even at two point cost, they are too valuable for me because they are they are essentially who I'm using for objectives like this, like picking up crates or uh, you know assault and keeping within range one. Um, so they're I don't use them as fodder. I don't place them out front or, or make them easy for you to kill as as other players would basically. Okay, and I think that's a good point because I think that's a discussion when we talk about pawn strategy and we go to JJ's list, JJ has no pawns. <laughs> like JJ has no ability mm -hmm. to set up to allow for these other things. And that's where when we talk about like list weaknesses and different things, one of JJ's list weaknesses is pawn strategy because he either has to use his heavy hitters to do the spacing piece or to do the obstruction piece, right? Or he has to use them as a um, aggressive, you know, uh, uh, a piece on the board. And I, in, in my personal opinion, a court, when we look at this list, I feel George, your list comes out 10 to 20% more favorable than JJ's list does based on just that strategy. You have the ability with your pawns to set up that scenario, the majority of the scenarios very decently. And I think even if you talk about chance encounter, you have the ability to put those droids in there and say, come shoot at them because I've got the rest of my ships just coming in behind me and I'm going to get my points. You can try to kill me, but I'm going to just shoot you back. And, and it kind of creates the, the draw to that center piece on that board. Yeah, yeah absolutely agree. Yeah, it, it definitely... Um Definitely having those extra pieces on the board. Um, I mean, it, when you consider, um, like when you start getting into the scrum where the majority of ships start having like the arts or time on, on that target to take uh, shots at the opponent. Um, typically, when you're in those engagements, you're either spending your modification on, uh, on offense or defense at your initiative. Um, and that opens up the gate for those pawns to potentially push an extra damage um, that they normally wouldn't be able to. That's their first engagement on that particular target. Um, in this case here, um, they're, the way that they were damaging my list was by being those objective grabbers and forcing me to engage you on your terms uh, for those particular ships, and that's where the value of those pawns came in. Um, and, and not having that element or that piece on my list um, definitely forces me to, it puts a lot more pressure on me to make up for that difference. So, yeah. Yeah. And I think if you think about it, right, you know, especially that red drone doesn't need the calculates at the beginning. You can one hard, one hard and have an objective. And unless Iman is going two, four forwards, you sure as heck are not uh, catching that drone round two you just aren't you know um i don't know i anyway i think that's the, the the piece of it and i think when now when we talk about space right so the next main concept 
is what's called space, right? And space is related to the number of squares a player has behind their pawns where they can move their pieces. So it's a control mechanism. And this is where George, your list only has so much control because you have to either use your ships as cannon fodder to create space for your other ones, or you have to keep them back and stay out of that middle space. Whereas JJ's list says two out of his three ships, he does not care. He wants that center space. He wants you to engage him. He doesn't care if it's range three. He wants that engagement. So JJ being able to go in there, sit on a rock for one turn like a droid, somehow I don't even know how that's possible, right? So you know, it's crazy <laughs> to me. Um, like yeah, the, the mechanics of Kira just befuddle me by all extent. Anyway, because she doesn't do that in any of the movies. Any, oh, I'm sorry. All right, we're gonna keep moving. Um, <laughs> um, so so sorry. So when we talk about space, so JJ gets into that center board. He doesn't need his pawns to create an open space for him. He doesn't need that at all. He has the ability to create that space with just his two ships, which is extremely powerful. And that's where the advantage for space activity, <laughs> especially because we're playing in space, is goes to JJ's list for that. Now, if you've had to fight George A. Vader in a bunch of ties, now you got to fight for that space. you got to use your droids a little bit more to screen and to ensure that Django isn't going to take you know, four or five shots from those stupid ISB jingoists, you know, and take you out. So yeah. let's talk a little bit about space and these two lists. JJ. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So for uh, for this one here, I mean, yeah, I, because I don't have those pawns there, um, the only thing I'm really concerned about in 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 controlling is that center objective, which I do typically, especially with Rick Cargo shoot uh, on Iman Azaman, um, is just controlling that centerpiece, right? Because the one common thing that you see across all four objectives in the game is the center objective, right? You see that in chance engagement, you see that in assault, you see that in, in all those uh, different objectives. So that to me becomes the focus of my of my list and trying to get in there. Um, it is obviously a lot more dangerous for my Iman uh, fire spray to go in there, but at the same time, it's also the greatest benefit for me after that initial initial engagements because of Iman's ability to pass on that automatic damage using those mines and bombs, and um, and being able to do damage that way there. So making sure that I can get into that space as soon as I can um, is very advantageous for me. And then on top of that, having another pilot that excels at being at close range to other ships uh, in Boba Fett, uh, getting those rerolls on offense and defense, I could tell you that for my three wins, um, that was a very huge factor. Uh, being able to get Boba into range, um, I negated a lot of damage using Boba's ability on defense um, and having the, that extra mod uh, with a focus and a force being able to um, change the results into evades, kept Boba very, very healthy um, against a very brutal initial strike um, is huge in controlling those objectives. Um, so that is um, in making sure that I also uh, use the rocks, which we'll have to get into a different, um, well, we'll get into that in a different episode, but 
um, creating those tight tunnels uh, where the opponent has to fly into a particular set in order to engage a particular area on the board. Uh, using that to funnel them into where I need them to be is also a very huge thing for my ships to make sure that um, my the way I set up my ships is advantageous to me as much as possible. George, how about you? Talking about control, spacing, with your list, how is it done? Right, and It doesn't have to relate just to this scenario, but um you know let, let's talk a little bit about that yeah i mean I, I a lot of it's a lot of it comes also for my for me particularly it comes from the setup too <laughs> because i consider the rocks to be part of my list as well so if the more rocks on the field the better i feel about it right <laughs> um <laughs> so i i think that's part of it um i feel more comfortable when there are more rocks um and then depending on the list, yes, I would use my uh, uncertain list. I would use my droids to get in a position uh, where maybe Django and the droids are coming in at the same time so that they can fire off those discords when it's an opportune time. And they need to do this almost simultaneously. So that's almost like the screen there that I'm setting up. I think that's... that's um, uh, the timing of that and the flying of that needs to be like precise. So, um, other than that, for this particular matchup, I think that my my focus was more getting Django up front, creating that space for me, so that he can, you know, again, pick up the tank some of the uh, the, the shots that were coming in. I didn't want my droids getting shot Neuter. this round. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the last piece, the last basic core concept of chess theory, right, is king safety, which we probably should have talked about that first. But I feel like in our world, it is a little bit less important per se, but if we're going to twist it a little bit, right? So obviously protecting the king, because if you lose the king in chess, the game's over. In X-Wing world, we already discussed there's very few kings in X-Wing. I would actually argue a little bit in this list, depending on what Eamon does. Boba's kind of a king in this list, um, whereas normally we would not consider Boba the king. But if you lose Boba with, let's say, in under four, five, in under five rounds, if you've lost Boba and have not traded for equal points, you've lost your king. You've lost. You have lost this game. Um, if you've traded for equal or more than equal points, it's a little bit different, right? You know, you, you, there's a little bit more to X-Wing than there is to chess. But essentially, when we talk about how do you protect the king, the goal is, is you're sacrificing other pieces to make your king not die, right? So this involves, like, one of the big things in chess is you must castle before round eight. If you've gone past round eight and then you castle, you're losing in chess. Like... The probability that you will lose is very high, which I'll be honest. I did not know that until I started doing research for this. And now I go back and think about how many times my kid has beat me at chess. I think, you know, because I think castling's stupid and I feel it's a waste of a round. But now I go back and think I'm a dumbass and I should have been doing this a long time ago. Anyway, um, right. The other thing is not exposing your king with a bad pawn move, right? Like moving your pawns away so that a bishop can get in there and force your king to make a maneuver they do not want to. 
In X-Wing, it's a little bit different, right? So we're going to say, let's forget about ships as kings, and let's talk about your wing condition as the king. Because I think in, when we talk about this scenario, JJ pointed out, for this scenario, his wing condition is getting the majority of kill points to win this, not picking up crates. Not that he didn't do it, but that was not his wing condition. He knows he needs to go in there, take Grievous or Django off the board, and if it's Grievous, he better be getting two or three of those damn drones. You know? And he better do it sooner than later, because if those drones rack up the objective points, it doesn't matter if he kills them. He's screwed. He's screwed hands down. Um, And so when we talk about it, we have to talk about king safety, and king safety is determining what is the most important part of your game at the start of it. You have to decide what is your wing condition, whether it's through objective play, whether it's through uh, making sure your aces are always moving and getting shots. It, you have to make that determination. So, so gentlemen, as we wrap up for the night, right? As we talk about this last little piece of, uh, of King safety, what is your wing condition and what did you do to accelerate towards it? And we're going to go with George first this time. Uh, I mean, my wing condition was pretty obvious. It, having the numbers and getting the crates to build up enough points throughout the rounds um, that my lead was just too much to catch up. Even if, even if like I lost a Grievous or a in, in our game, I, I did end up losing Django. Mm -hmm. um, that still... I, with the amount of points that I got, um, I was still not comfortably in the lead, but in the lead still. The pressure was still on on my opponent. So, can I ask a question? Yeah. Did you did you lose Django because you spent the force too often on giving people stress? I'm sorry. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Not at all. Actually. Um, I lost Django to a veteran tail gunner Boba. That's what I lost Django to. Um, Oof. Yeah. Yeah. That's JJ's signature move. There you go. <laughs> it really is, man. And I couldn't um, get behind. Um, I was trying to get behind a rock, and I just didn't get it <laughs> at all. Yeah. And it was you were trying to get the obstruction too, and and it was just yeah. unobstructed too at range too, which was it was tough, man. But for me, um, my win condition was taking out uh, his Django. Um, taking out his Django essentially takes away that guard piece from his lower uh, his lower drones, uh, which at that point, you know, even if Grievous is coming at me at initiative four to threaten my Boba Fett, um, I can actually use that to my advantage to still engage his drones with Boba. And if uh, if Grievous is coming from behind me, I, that allows me to set up a rear arc shot onto Grievous uh, from there. Um, the the <laughs> so just to kind of give a, a, a better description of how that that game went out. Uh, once George uh, actually changed his um, his targets over towards Iman. Um, there was a there was a move where he ended up going over my rig cargo chute, giving him a strain um, and a stress, and he ended up landing on top of the center rock as well uh, at range zero behind Iman Azaman. That opened up um, uh, shots from both Iman and Kanan 
um, to bring him down to uh, to three hole, if I remember correctly, and then I was able to drop a proximity mine onto Django, uh, leaving him at one hole uh, from uh, from that bomb drop. Uh, so Django was in a very precarious position from there, and um, and I, I just was not able to get the last final damage through. Um, I oh I instead of going for the sure damage on Grievous, which actually would have mattered later on. Um, I missed with my proximity mine and then flew my uh, my Iman in an attempt to be uh, a daredevil uh, off the, the corner of the map, uh, just barely, um, in order to try to keep time on target onto, uh, onto Django. Um, and that put me behind the ball where, um, you know, Boba did Boba things. He was able to come in and, and start killing droids and kill Django, but at that point i was so behind the eight ball in terms of making up those points that i could not overcome that difference and george's um, original plan of getting those objective points absolutely won him that game and he was able to play keep away just long enough for um for him to gain those points and uh and win that matchup so that that was very well flown thanks <clears throat> Awesome. So, so again, now we, like I said, you know, we each piece of this series is trying to build onto the next. And JJ thought, hey, we played each other. Why not kind of give us a live example and say, hey, here's how we apply what we talk about tonight to this. Kind of like last week when we talked about lists and all these different things and how they applied to each of the different pieces, right? So I think this is a very um, informational episode in my opinion i don't know they are a little biased because i run the podcast but um <laughs> you know um I, I i really enjoyed this piece that we had tonight um w with the two of you especially because it worked out that you got to play each other and like i don't know it just it to me it worked out very well based on the variety of lists that the two of you were running um so thank you with that being yeah. said, um, last week, like I said, last week we covered identifying your chess piece in X-Wing and how they go together and do all these different things. This week, I want to talk about core strategic opportunities that everybody has. Next week, folks, next week, we will get into turn zero, which includes obstacle placement, objective placement, and kind of those type of things. And we're going to give you different scenarios with different lists, right? Based on the objective. But we're going to keep it very brief because once we get through all the core concepts, the opening, the middle game, and the end game, we're going to then go back and take everything we know and we're going to apply it to each of the different scenarios. And I've done this this way for two reasons. One, in case they get uh, crafty and change the scenarios in October, on me i don't have to redo these damn videos again like i've been promising i was going to do but i know i know there's changes coming i just don't know if they're going to affect the scenario so i didn't want to like force myself into this and do these scenarios so we're going to go through all these different concepts about opening and middle game and end game before we get into identifying the scenarios and then we're going to take everything we learned about everything that professor jj has taught you and we're going to take that and we're going to apply it to each different scenario that's what we're going to do. So next week, stay tuned because next week we will be talking about turn zero obstacle plate with which includes obstacle placement, scenario objective placement, 
and ship placement. Those will be the three main focuses in terms of how we start out. And it'll be a little bit different because in chess, all the pieces are put the same place, but they all have different opening maneuvers based on what strategy you yep. want to take to defeat your opponent. George, JJ, thank you for joining me tonight. It was a pleasure to have you back on, George. Um, you have very, very docile voice coming back in and it's and it's good to have a separatist player on the on the stream right like i feel sometimes very lonely like matt hated separatists so much that was like his enemy and then like charles doesn't like separatists jj's eh, he's a, he's a 50 50 he plays everything he's kind of like a he's like our whore of the of the podcast he plays everything. <laughs> but then we have george and george comes in and says tanner I like separatists. We're going to talk I separatists. You. I got you. And I'm going to win with them too, right? And, yeah. and you're going to win with them, <laughs> unlike me. <laughs> I did win last year, but not this year. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so just a, a few announcements before we end the podcast. Uh, next week, we have Crate Cup coming up here. If you're going to be at uh, attending Crate Cup here in uh, Durham, North Carolina, uh, I will be there. Um, I will be playing in the tournament. Um, I will also probably be doing the side event on Friday as well, uh, which is uh, a very interesting, like, Kanger Bay style uh, where you're bringing 35 points. You get to see your opponent's list and then make up your own list between 18 to 20 points based on what you see. Um, and then, of course, I'll be doing the actual Craig Cup team tournament on Saturday as well. Um, that GSP will be streaming there as well. Um, so if you do see me, come and say hi. I'd love to meet any of you guys over there and uh, hope to have a great time then. Uh, we will also have the return of our uh, After Dark discussion because we got Andor coming up. And I cannot wait to see the first episode and just tear it to pieces because I love the. I, I'm going to love it, man. I'm going to love it. <laughs> well, you're not going to tear it to pieces then, but yes, nah. we will do. And it's not our, we, we don't call it after dark, baby. You have to call it universe extended. Oh uh, yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. Sorry. But you know, we, drinking will be involved in probably some swear words. So I mean, yep. Yep. But, yep. Um, Ooh, is bad batch coming out next week too? No, really? Did I miss that? Really? I, Deslin, I, I missed that batch. Deslin, oh, are you sure? Okay. Are you going to get my hopes up? Because I have a busy. All right. How about this? No, if anybody will... January 4th. January 4th. Okay. All right. All right. You're about giving me a heart attack there. Like, <laughs> I was like, I don't even know when I'm going to have time to watch all this stuff, especially if somebody wants to sponsor Tanner's uh, flight down to uh, Crate Cup. I'll happily go down to Crate Cup and hang out uh, if somebody wants to sponsor my flight. I looked at flights, so they're just so there's just too much. Like, I try. Yeah. I tried. It's just it's just too much for me. Um, all right. So I feel better. I feel better. But we will be doing. Yes. So man, that means in two weeks, we're going to have like like a very long after dark or uh, universe extended. Is that how this is going to work, DJ? Because we're going to have to cover two shows. Oh, my God. Yep. I don't even know how we're yep. going to do that. All right, folks, going to clear my schedule at work. No more Monday early morning <laughs> meetings for me. Um, we are. I'm going to. Can I do that? I wonder if I could do that. I could just book a private appo appointment that says research on on acquisition. That's what I can do. There we there go. go. I got that. Yeah, there you go. Seven to ten. <laughs> that way, if I oversleep, I don't have to worry. <laughs> anyway, yeah. 
Anyway, George, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you're, you're welcome anytime, as always. Thank you for coming on, giving us your expertise on uh, Separatists, and congrats on your top cut run um, in the latest GSP qualifier. Thank you, thank you. Thanks for having me again. Awesome. Yeah. With that being said, thank you all. We will be back next week, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, or if you want, I'm switching to 2100 Eastern time frame because I think I'm gonna I'm gonna talk only in military time. That's like my new thing. I don't know. I'm crazy, maybe, <laughs> but I think I'm gonna do that. Either which way, make sure you you join us. If you want to see JJ and I play, we'll probably be on one of Greg's streams on Nickel City this week. I know that I have not committed to a game, but I probably will commit to a game. Um, I did last week. Um, and and I I think it's fun to play on Greg's stream. So if you want to see JJ, maybe maybe they'll put JJ and I on. JJ, you got to get practice for your um. Crate cup anyway, right? So yep, exactly. there you go. JJ will reach out to Greg. You get us a crate cup thing. I'll play whatever you want me to play um, against you. And we'll go from there. So. All right, cool. Either way, thank you so much. Thank you, Jar Jar, for gracing us with your presence once again. <laughs> Have a good night, everyone. And we will see you next week. Have a good night. See ya.